We're starting a brand new series uh, this week and, and through this month we're going to be in a series called Encounter. And the reason that we entitled it Encounter is because we have these, these rhythms, these practices, maybe you, it's a, this is a church word, but this disciplines in the Christian life. And what they can become for us, especially if you grew up in the church, what they can become for us is kind of more like this checklist, this like things that we know we're supposed to be doing, and when we don't do them, we feel really guilty, and we know somebody somewhere is going to probably ask us about it, which is why maybe we're not in one of these small groups, or maybe why we don't talk to our pastors or maybe we kind of disengage from community because we don't want to feel bad that we're not doing this list of things that we know that we're supposed to be doing. Um, and and we, we look at them like this checklist rather than a means of relationship with Jesus and the way that he's transforming us. And I'm, I'm just going to be super honest just right up front. My encouragement to all of you, if you stick with us and you track with us this month, is that we're going to encourage you to just, just try these things on. Maybe there are things that you have done, and but it's been a long time. Maybe these are things that you've never done, um, or, or maybe there are things that you know you're pretty you're pretty faithful in doing. Hopefully, if that's you, um, this isn't a super boring series for you. But you get a different perspective on why it is that we actually do these things. I also know there's people in the room, and you'd say, "Well, I'm not super interested in Christian practices or rhythms or disciplines or whatever you call them because I'm not a Christian." And we totally get that way, and we love that you're here with us. We think you. You belong here with us. Um, but, but just for you, if that's you, if you'd say, well, I'm not really a Christian, so why do I care about these things? I think it would be interesting to you to know like, what Christians are actually supposed to be doing. And, and maybe you're here because you're, you're just kind of interested in the thing anyway or you're checking it out. Uh, well, what we're going to talk about over the course of the month, these are the types of things um, that Christians should be doing as they grow in their relationship with, with Christ. And the design and the purpose of the things that we're going to talk about is so that we'd grow in our experiences and understanding of God. Meaning, all that to say is that these things that God has given us to participate in are so that we'd really know God, not just know about him. Like, like, like some of you, I'm just now thinking of this illustration, so I hope this doesn't come across creepy, but like some of you, like you know who my wife is, you know who Lauren is, like you you know, maybe you even know, like, oh, she grew up in Georgia, or she has brown hair, or she has, like, an ethnicity. I can't really tell where she's from. Like, you know, like, Lauren. But I, like, know Lauren. I just made it creepy. But I, <laughs> I know her in a way that you don't. And these, these things are really to drive us to an intimacy with Jesus, not just a, like, a mental assent to who he is, or like I know about him. These things are given to us as a gift to really drive towards him. And, and the, the, the reason that these things are such a gift is that God is continually speaking. I know sometimes it feels like, oh, I really haven't heard from God, or I feel disconnected from God, or I don't hear God anymore. But the thing is, God's continually speaking. We're not always in tune to it. It's like on your radio station. A radio is like this thing they had before Spotify, but like you, you would tune into it so you could pick up the signal. We're not always in tune to what God is saying, but God's continually speaking. And what he's speaking into your life is he's reminding you that you are fully accepted because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. You're known, intimately known, and loved in an infinite way because of Jesus. And you are God's beloved because of what Jesus has done. 
And God brings hope of transformation and healing into every dark place. And God's desire is to lead you into deeper intimacy, calling you into a vision of what life could be and should be and ultimately will be with him. So when we're talking about encountering God through these different practices in this series, we are ultimately talking about hearing the voice of God through these things. Do you see how that's kind of a departure from maybe how you've thought about these practices in your life before you thought like, okay, I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to be praying. I'm supposed to be kind of like spending time alone with God. I, I kind of know, we, we feel like it's more of like a burden. No, but, but really God's given us these things so that we can hear the voice of God so we can be led into this spiritual formation process where we're increasingly following the ways of Jesus, meaning our life looks like the life of Jesus. We're experiencing ongoing transformation and breakthrough in these places where we're stuck or enslaved, and we're developing practices that allow us to live on mission for the glory of God, for the, for the good of the community. So that's, that's why we decided to do this encounter series, because we really want to shift the way that we think about these fundamental practices and rhythms and ways of being that Christians are to be in. And, and I really do because this has been meant so much to me, I really do want to couch it in, we need to learn to hear the loving voice of God because it's absolutely foundational to everything that we do as Christians. Because it's the voice of God that ultimately calls us into life, that illuminates life in us for the very first time. It's, it's God's voice that transforms our living when we hear from God. It transforms our way of being. It transforms our mind, our heart, our attitudes, our, our behaviors. And it's God's voice that lets us share that life with others. It's also really important um, to say right at the beginning that we don't do these things to kind of earn righteousness points with God. Like, we don't engage in these things because we're trying to earn the favor, the approval, or the blessing of God. We do these things believing that Jesus knows better than anyone else how to experience the belovedness of his Father. And how to experience the fullness of being a child of God who knows with absolute clarity and certainty what God created him to be and to do. The very last time we were together at 710, we said, hey, in 2019, we're going to ask this question of ourselves, of this community, of you. What does love require of us? Which is a difficult question. You say, okay, what's it really mean for me to love my roommate? What's it really mean for me to love my coworkers, the ones that are hard to be with? What's it really mean for me to love my family? What's it really mean for me to love the poor? What does love require of me to love the people, especially those that are difficult to love? And we're going to talk the, the rest of this year about practical outworks in that. We're going to talk about what needs to happen in our heart to be able to answer that question. And this really is one of those things. And the more, the more you know you are loved, the more secure you are to love others. And, and you don't even have to be a Bible person, Jesus person, Christian to understand that. You just know that you've experienced that in life. When you're in a relationship that feels secure, right, I now feel secure enough to where I can reciprocate that love to others. But if I'm in a relationship and I feel, like, insecure, like, I can't really be myself, I can't really tell you how I'm feeling, I can't really tell you that I'm uncomfortable with that because I'm, I'm not sure how you're going to react, that's not really a loving relationship. Right? That's a totally different dynamic. But a lot of times we approach God like that. But the dynamic that God wants for us is the dynamic that Jesus had with the Father. In fact, Jesus says, this is why I'm coming, so that you can be put back together with God, so you can experience love like that. And with these practices, reinforce that and help us to grow in that, in that love. You see, when we see all these things just as an end in themselves and not a means to an end, which is to know more about God's love, we turn into like kind of what the Pharisees 
have. In, in John chapter 5, Jesus says of the Pharisees, he's like, you diligently study the scriptures. Like, yes, you know the word. You're, you're, you're there. Because you think by them you possess eternal life. Meaning you think you're earning something. And Jesus says, yet these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So there Jesus, again, points to something that's very personal, very personal. And so when we think about these practices and these things we're going to talk about this next month, we need to think in terms of relationship and personal and and real, true intimacy and, and hearing from God about how beloved we are. And tonight, we're going to start with prayer. Um, but before we do, let me actually pray for us, um, and then, and then we'll, get, um, we'll get right into it. Father God, thank you for this time together. God, thank you for um, the way that you love us. God, thank you for the way that you provide for us. God, thank you um, for just the way that you orchestrate and are the architect of our lives. God, even if we don't acknowledge that, I, God, we still know that, um, that, that you are. And so that means um, that, God, you have ordained and, and got ready this particular night and this particular moment in time. Um, God, it's all planned out. Who's here is, uh, is on purpose. And I, God, I just pray that you just work tonight. God, I pray you'd work in my heart. God, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of everybody who came to gather tonight. God, I pray that by your spirit, you'd reveal things to us. You'd speak to us. You'd illuminate things. You'd show things. Um, God, even things that we have kind of hidden in dark corners of our heart and our mind. God, that you just bring those things out into the light so that we'd find freedom tonight. Father, I pray that you would help me to preach this, not in a way that heaps on burdens on people that that we could never fulfill, but God, in a way that just really shows us how free we are in you because of Christ. Um, And God, I pray most of all, all the attention, all the attention uh, is on you tonight. And um, Jesus, I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So prayer is a conversation with God that involves all three persons of the Trinity. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? I'm going to spend just a few minutes, few minutes, like, 40,000 foot level, like super high up, kind of looking up, down, and then we're going to, by the end of this talk in just a few minutes here, we're going to funnel down to really practical things that we're going to do. So we're going to start kind of wide, right? But this is important, so try to track, try to track with me. But we believe that God is, God is one, three persons, right? So prayer is a conversation with that God, all three persons of the Trinity. We access our Heavenly Father by faith in the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of the Son through Jesus. And I'm going to break all that down just real quick for you. But what I'm driving at is that there is a joy and a happiness that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all experience with each other. Prayer is a means by which we access that same joy and that same happiness, that same security and love for one another that they have. Here's how that works. With the Father, the Father, we have this adoption, right? So Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. Meaning we have this unbreakable and most intimate relationship possible with the God of the universe. I realize the Father imagery or the Father language is not helpful for everybody in the room. Some of you, you, you wish you never even knew your Father. Some of you, you had like what you would consider the most amazing Father ever. Whatever your picture of Father is, God is not a reflection of that picture, good or bad. He is the perfection of that picture. He's the perfect father. 
And, 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 it, and, and so when we pray, we are stepping into and acknowledging this unbreakable, most intimate relationship that we could ever have with the God of the universe. And the Spirit is the one that makes our faith or our confidence in that relationship audible. We're not going to get into this a, a ton tonight, but, the, but the, the Scripture talks about how the Spirit is the one that intercedes, that helps us in our, in our praying. But the Spirit creates this inward confidence and joy that we are in a relationship based on love and not on performance. The Spirit provides a confidence that helps us in our prayers, knowing like I can say what exactly is on my heart and mind here because I have a Father who loves me unconditionally. And the Spirit helps us in that. And then the, Jesus, the role that he plays is the role that Jesus has always played, that he eliminates the gap so that we can know God. If you're unfamiliar with what we call the gospel, the good news, the gospel is we're separated uh, forever from God, from relationship with God, because of our rebellion against the holy God. And we could never do enough to like, get it back together. We could never do enough to fix it. And maybe you think, well, I, I mean, I'm, that's why I'm coming back to church, because I'm trying to get back together with God, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really nice to people. Ever since 2019, I've just really started being really good to people, really kind to people, and that's because I'm trying to get back together with God. The gospel is, no, you, you could never make it back to God, so God made it back to you in the person of, of Jesus. Because God became like us, mortal and subject to temptation and suffering and death, and he did it so that we can be forgiven and justified by faith apart from our own effort and work. Because in Jesus, God became human. He's not only God on the other side of this chasm that's between us, he, he's the bridge over the gap. He, he's the mediator of a new relationship with God that cannot fail because it's based on the faithfulness of Jesus, not ours. You, you see, if you still approach God as this like God who, who treats you as you deserve to be treated, then you don't understand what Jesus has done. And you don't understand, again, what we call the, the gospel. But because of Jesus, we always have an audience with the Father because Jesus always has an audience with the Father. So those, that, that's how the three persons of the Trinity kind of play when you pray. Okay, so that was like the big wide thing. And, and I, some of you are looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. But all that is really important. You ever hear that before in Tallahassee? No? <laughs> Pastor used to say that all the time. All right? And maybe all that, maybe I just talked way too fast, maybe you kind of missed that, but I'm telling you that's massively important because you need to understand how not only theologically important prayer is, you need to understand how cosmically important prayer is, right? So like meaning, meaning God of the universe, intimate with you in your prayer because of the work of the, of the, of the Trinity. So all of that, Jesus says, the point of your prayer is so that you would step into further enjoyment of God, like, like really enjoying God. Most of the time, our prayers are kind of consumed with, we, we confess stuff that we screwed up, right? Okay, we have these times where we're like, okay, God, I did it again. I acted like that again. I thought that again. Will you, will you forgive me? You know, that's, we spend a lot of time kind of with, with that. Or there's something in our life that screwed up. Right? There's a sickness, there's a relationship, there's a money thing, there's a job thing, right? You, you have your own categories. But we don't spend a lot of time adoring and praising God. We, we don't spend a lot of time just really kind of being saturated in and meditating on just the good thoughts about the true things about God. Like just being like really just enamored 
with who he is and what he's done. We, we, a lot of times we, we have these phrases that we've kind of picked up. If you've been in church, you kind of picked up these phrases kind of along the way, right? Or you have these ideas, or you have these concepts. Maybe you read it in a book where once, maybe, you know, somebody posted it on Instagram once, and it was like, oh, that was good. And you kind of memorize that, and you lodge that. And now that becomes kind of a consistent prayer. Um, a lot of times it doesn't sound like any other conversation that we have with any other person, you know, right? We, our voice changes, and we have used different words that we don't use in any other circle, Right? So, so if we want to encounter God in prayer, which is the point of what we're talking about tonight, we have to kind of remix our thinking to know that conversation leads to encounter and that prayer can take our theological concepts, it's just a it's just word that means that thoughts we think about God, and turn them into experiencing God. So when I'm talking tonight about encountering God through prayer, I'm talking about a conversation with God that takes just simple, like, that takes it from just thoughts about God or truths about God or input data about God and turns it into really experiencing who God is. There's two things with this prayer, real quick, we're going to look at. There's a posture and there's a process. We're going to look at the posture of prayer that encounters God, and then we're going to look quickly at the process of prayer that encounters God. Now, I, again, I realize that some of you, you're not Christians in the room, so like a message on prayer, you're like, oh my gosh, I came on the wrong night, right? Now, it really doesn't matter like what you think about God, because if, if you think anything about God, you somewhere in there think their prayer is in there. I mean, even people who don't believe in God think prayer is like a thing. You can acknowledge that prayer is like a thing. In fact, there's, there are there's psychological like journals and reports that say um, regardless if you're an atheist, regardless if you're a Christian, regardless of what you think about God, prayer is a good thing for you because it allows you to externalize your anxiety. It allows you to kind of internalize things that you want to see happen, right? So, so it's amazing that even people who don't believe in God still think prayer is a good idea. But the point of a prayer life is connection with God. And what's difficult is that a lot of times religious environments are often the most difficult place to connect with God in prayer. And Jesus kind of shows that when he teaches on prayer. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the table. We're also going to put, um, we're gonna put uh, the text on the screen for you too. Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is talking to these religious leaders in his day. And he's addressing something that's not just relegated to this time and this day. It's something that we can experience um, here in, in our religious environments as well, too. But he's talking to a group of people, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and he says this. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, that was their place of worship, and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their word, their reward in full. So he's saying, so whatever attention they got from everybody else, that's it for them. But when you pray, he's assuming that you're not a hypocrite, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, a lot of times we can read that maybe in a way that makes us afraid of God, but God's, Jesus is giving us that to create security in us in a relationship. 
And then he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we've got to be careful with this passage because there's a lot of things where it just tells like Jesus is giving us like exact instructions on what we're supposed to repeat every single time. Okay, now I've got to find like the secret room. I, gotta, I can't let anybody see me go in there. I've got to memorize these words. Jesus is talking more about the way that we order our life. And he's talking more about, again, the posture that we take. Now, it's okay. You can go ahead and go and pray in your closet. That's fine. And you can even pray that prayer um, if you really believe what the words say. That's, that's fine there, too. But what Jesus is really kind of driving at, and, and you get it because he addresses the hypocrites first, he's really getting at your heart in this. Now, he, he says this directly and aggressively. You've watched these religious leaders pray who, by the way, are kind of standing there listening in on Jesus because they were always kind of eavesdropping on what Jesus was saying. And he says, don't do it that way, which is highly offensive. It's offensive, and it's very aggressive to these religious people. And if you don't know how his story ends, they actually murder him for this kind of stuff. And, and this is one of those times they get pretty heated with him because he looks at all their religious practices, and he's like, look, just don't do that. That is dumb. Don't be like that. He's confronting them by way of an idea. He's, he's demonstrating something different by the way that he lived. In, in Luke chapter 11, the disciples, they've seen Jesus pray quite a, uh, quite a bit, and they're like, okay, there's something that he does that's really particular to him. So Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because whatever you're doing is way different than what I've seen the, ra the other rabbis do. I've seen all these other rabbis who kind of stand on the corner and they want to be heard by men, but I've seen you kind of like sneak off. You go into the garden, you go up on the mountain. You're like, you go off in these places and your prayers seem way more intimate and way more different. And so these disciples are like, okay, we grew up as good Jewish boys hearing rabbinic prayers. We've heard all this stuff, but you, there's something different about the way that you're connecting to God in, in prayer. So he says, teach us to pray like that. So Jesus teaches to pray, but he gives them a warning. He says, look, be careful who you learn to pray from and be careful about what they are doing when they pray, which is why he says in verse 5, when you pray, don't pray like them. And he points out some things about what religious people tend to do when they pray. He says, watch out for people that when they pray, they're trying to impress everybody around, right? You ever been like around somebody like that? Kind of happens a lot in, 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 in church, right? So, like, you're just kind of there, you're sitting at the table, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, the food shows up, and they're just like, let's pray, dear Lord, right? And there's, like, all these phrases that nobody says anywhere else, like, bless this food to the use of our body. What's that even mean? What else would the food be doing, you know? And like, there's all these kind of phrases, there's all these things, like, they're talking in, like, old English, and there's just, like, all this, like, a turn, they turn into, like, somebody totally weird, and you're like, who are you talking to right now? Is this like, are you talking to like a person? Are you, is this a speech you're rehearsing? But that happens a lot. It happens a lot, unfortunately, with church folks too. And if you've never experienced that, then you're probably that person who does that. <laughs> what Jesus is saying though, in religious environments, that people who pretend to be something that they are not when they're with other people, he's saying one of the ways that you can honestly know that you are coming before God is if you can be honest in front of other people. The, the, the 710 team, every Tuesday, um, we grab lunch together, and then we come back here in a prayer room, spend anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour just kind of praying together. And I've loved them. They've been super sweet, sweet moments for our team. Um, and the more we've done it, the more we've been able to really pray really honest prayers with each other. 
and, and, for, and for each other. And in order to have these really sweet moments where one, where we're kind of really not only connecting with God, I believe, but we're connecting with each other on a deeper level, we have to be able to pray like honest prayers and talk to each other like how real humans talk to each other. And Jesus is saying, look, when you bring the whole of you, who you are to others, and when you bring the whole of who you are, your true self to God, as you pray, um, otherwise you're just pretending. And when we pretend before each other and before God, it's kind of like if you've ever been to like a river or a creek or something, you've seen water, just kind of how it goes over a rock. Like when you pretend with other people and before God, it, it's as if like the grace of God just kind of washes over you and it just, you get like this real kind of like slick surface and it doesn't seem to like stick to you. And so you're like, I'm not really experiencing the grace of God in my life. I'm not really experiencing this like joy of God in my life. Well, that's because you're not you. You're not bringing you to God and before others. Now, now I know, and one of the beauties of a gathering like this and a ministry like this, a community like this, is that in this room, there are people who you're, you're depressed. And maybe some of you are on medicine, maybe you're not, right? There's people who are grieving because you've lost loved ones or you've lost opportunity. There, there's people in here that are struggling with addiction. And, and you just have these battles and these failures and these struggles and you have no idea what you're gonna do because you cannot get out of it. There, there's people in here, you're, you're afraid you're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. You're afraid of what's going to happen next week, next month, next year, the rest of your life. Some of you are, in this room are sick. Some of you have diagnosis from doctors, and, and you have, it just looks hopeless and helpless. Some of you are, are like just riddled with anxiety about what you've done in the past, what you did today, what's going to happen in the, in the future. Now, now, here's the deal. If we are going to go through all the effort to come here together, to worship God together, to, to, to seek God together, because I don't think any of your parents dropped you off. I think most of you kind of ended up here, right? Or like it was your decision to actually come here. No one like forced you to be here. Maybe it's part of your parole. If so, I'm glad you're here. But right, so you made the effort to be here, to engage in whatever goofy things we do in this room tonight. So why waste your time and not bring the whole true self of who you are to this moment and to these people and to this, to this community? Because what Jesus is saying, look, don't just be like the other hypocrites who are just living out a life with God so that other people see it because it's dead, it's meaningless, and it's dangerous because it keeps you from experiencing the great mercy that God has given in Christ. Bring all of who you are, and in that, receive grace from God and from each other. The problem here is not just that we try to impress others, it's that, it's that we think we're better than others. Flip over to Luke chapter 18. So you're in Matthew, it just goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, just, a, just a few books over. Luke chapter 18, because Jesus tells a story that connects to, to what he was saying there in Matthew chapter 6. Um, it's, it's a story of a, of a tax collector. Now, now, tax collectors are like the worst of the worst. They were traitors to their own people, and the Roman government kind of hired them, and they, they basically like kind of prostituted themselves out to the Roman government because they would collect this money um, for the Roman government against their own people, and they would steal, they would steal and extort their own people. So they were like the worst people ever. 
Um, and so Jesus tells the story. He says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness or their own rightness, he looked down to everyone else, and Jesus told his parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. And one was a Pharisee, so a religious leader um, of the day, and another a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed out loud, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. That's how Pharisee sounded. But this tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So him making a hero out of the tax collector in this story would have been absolutely shocking to this audience. The prayer of the Pharisees and the prayer that you hear here, it's actually been very close to a prayer that Pharisees prayed all the time. And even modern day rabbis, they pray a prayer that's kind of a variation of this. They have a prayer that goes like this. God, I thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. God, I thank you that I am free and not a slave. God, I thank you that I am a man and not a woman. And, and, And that's a prayer that's prayed as a way of describing gratitude for the position of being a Pharisee. Now, the, so, so the listeners, as Jesus is telling the story, they're like, yeah, we would have heard a prayer that's very similar. And that prayer makes a lot of sense, right? So when he prays, I thank you that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile, he's saying, I'm thank you that I'm part of God's chosen people. We've been blessed, we've been set apart to be a blessing to the world. That makes sense. Um, I thank you that I'm slave, not, or I thank you that I'm free and not slave. So given the choice, slave or free, free is a way better choice. So I thank you for that. Man versus woman. This one's probably the most controversial, right? But being a man is way easier than being a woman, right? So not only in this culture and not only in this time, but in previous cultures and previous societies and previous times and in other places in the world, privileges tend to run towards men. Women were property and even in this day are targets of abuse and poverty. Anywhere in the, in the world, women are being affected way more adversely than men, right? So if you know statistics on poverty, um, women are, 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 are way more highly subjected to poverty than men in most places in the world. So what the, what the Pharisee is praying is a fact. Now, I don't agree with this prayer. I don't want you to think that I pray this prayer. I'm not, I don't agree with it, but it's a, it's a fact, right? But here's what Jesus takes on. When you believe that in your life, you are somehow better than another, you forget that you are in the need of the mercy of God. When, 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 when you forget that, that or, or you believe that you are somehow better than another person, you forget that you are in the need of mercy of God. And this is something he says that the tax collector gets that the Pharisee just doesn't get. You, you see, life with, with God, and if you're exploring, like, what does it even mean to have life with God? This is really important for you. Life with God is not, is not divided by the godly and the ungodly. And, and let me explain that. It's divided by prideful people and humble people. You, you see, the humble person says, I throw myself on the mercy of God that is found only in Jesus Christ. 
I throw myself at the cross and I say, God, forgive me. I receive your grace just like this tax collector. The prideful person says, nah, I, I think I'm probably just better than other people. And, and I think I'll just kind of use my own goodness, my own better thanness, right? And, and I think I'll just be okay without the mercy of God. I'll just stand on my own righteousness and my own rightness. And Jesus says the only way to have life with God is by mercy. God, forgive me, a sinner. It's prideful versus humble. That's how you start life with God. That's how you continue in life with God. And, and Jesus says be careful because when that kind of pride and judgment starts to creep in, you're missing what grace and mercy really like really looks. This parable is fascinating because it's tempting to go to God and think, I am so glad I am not like that Pharisee. But do you catch the irony even in that, right? I'm so glad that I'm not like the Pharisee. And the whole thing is saying, don't have the stance where I'm so glad that I'm not like. The, the point is when you come to God with your posture, if you want a posture of prayer that encounters God, you come receiving forgiveness and mercy and you go releasing blessing to others. If you posture over others, it shrinks the capacity to receive grace from God. So we have this posture of prayer where we encounter God that's humble, understands our need for mercy, and then real quick, real quick, we have the process of prayer that encounters God. Okay, you have a posture where you're humble. God, I understand. I know I need your mercy. In the process, we can't just have a mind full of facts about God without engaging our heart. Ephesians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. We'll put the, uh, this on the screen. Do, did I give you this, Harley? I don't know. I did not. Okay, I'll, let me just read it to you. Sorry, that's my fault. Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is writing this, and he says in verse 16 through 19, you can go back and look at this later. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Why, Paul? Why is that important? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, through confidence in God, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Again, going back to where we started, having this security of our belovedness in God, being rooted and established in love, may have power, that sounds good, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Power to grasp. And I'll explain that in a second. How wide and long and how deep and high is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So what Paul is saying, he's like, look, on one level, Christians, they have these things. But at another level, they haven't experienced them. It's one thing to know, yeah, God's done some really great things on my behalf and in my life. It's another thing to grasp the dimensions of what those things are. He's, he says, I want, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give you the power to grasp. And, and grasp is a, is a really strong word. It means to capture. It's the same idea of like when an army comes in and captures an entire city and takes over an entire city. Paul, Paul's, what, what, what Paul's meditating on, is talking about, he's talking about, I want you to meditate. I want you to ponder something about God until it captures you. That's the process of a prayer that encounters God. You, you meditate and ponder on a truth about God until it absolutely captures you. And that breakthrough, Paul is saying, happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gives like these dimensions of the love of God. He says the love of Jesus is infinitely wide, means it covers everything. Everything. Well, what about that one thing that I did way back? 
What about that one thing no one really knows about? Yeah. What about the thing I'm going to do tomorrow? What about the thing I do two days from now? What about the thing I do 10 years from now? What, what about all the things? What about all the stuff? And Paul's like, I want you to be grasped, captured by the reality that the love of God over you covers all that. It's infinitely wide. It's infinitely long. It began before time, before the foundation of the world, the scripture tells us, and it extends through eternity. It's infinitely deep. Well, how do I know how deep the love of God is? God came down to earth in Jesus and went down into the deepest depths, the deepest pit, and he voluntarily did that. That's how you know the depth of the love of God for you the depths to which Jesus has gone on your behalf. It's infinitely high. The height of God's love is that he will show us his glory. We will be with the Father like Jesus is. You see, nothing brought Jesus more joy, and we're invited into that. We inherit that because of what Jesus has done. Well, how do I... How do I see all that stuff? How do I get to all that stuff? How do I get to how high it is, how deep it is, how wide it is, how long it is? In the face of Jesus. I know that sounds like a really churchy thing. But here, let me just explain this real quick. We're almost done. The face is the relational gate into a person's mind and heart. Right? So some of you are in relationship or like really want to be in a relationship. But when you're in a relationship with a person that you love, that you like are really, really into, right? You like stare at their face. And when you get really close, you try to put like your face into their face, right? That's how like when you really love someone. My, um, my, my, I call all my kids faces. So when I walk in the door, I'm always like, what's up, faces? And, and the reason I call them faces, like I call her uh, Evie face, Vera face, and Silas face. I call them the faces. You guys are my faces. Because I, like, I stare at their face. And I get up in there close in their face. And when I, I, when I look at their face, I always look them right in the face. And I'm like, I love you so much. I am so proud of you. I believe in you. You're the most beautiful, you're the most beautiful little girl I know. You're, you're the most handsome man I know, right? Like, I, I get right up in their face. And when I look at their face, I daydream about what that face is going to be in the future. And not just their face, not just their physical face, like their whole being, their whole person. And my kids know. My kids know. When I'm at home and I'm sitting on the couch and they want to play or they want to think, and I've got my phone out and my face is not in their face, they know I'm not connected to dad right now. They know dad's distracted. My face is not the most important thing to dad right now because he's on his phone. And they'll call me on it. They're like, why are you on your stupid phone? Right? <laughs> Don't you want to talk to us? Yes. I want nothing more than to talk to you. You know, you put the phone up. Um, but that's the thing. Like, and in the face of Christ, to seek the face of Jesus is to seek communion with him. Real connection with him. You can ask anybody on the 710 team. One of the things I've been trying to work on for two years is to, when they come talk to me, not have my phone out. And I suck at this. They can all tell you, right? Because they, they, want, like, they want my full attention. And Jesus is saying to you, I mean, we sang this Fixed on You song tonight, which is the whole idea about that. Like, Jesus is saying, no, no, I want you to seek, I want you to seek my face. I'm not distracted with anything else. I want you, I want you right here. And Jesus is saying, and you know what? I want you right here. I, I, I want you, I want you undistracted 
it, I, want, I want you to seek my face. And Jesus says, I, I, I want to stare into your face. I want real interaction with you. I want to share thoughts and, 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 and love. And, and meaning that we find Jesus beautiful for who he is himself. And it means a process of prayer where we're not just simply coming to him to ask for forgiveness once again, although that's not a bad thing, right? Or we're not coming to him for his help or his favor, favor although not a bad thing. Or we're not coming to him for blessing again, although not a bad thing. It means that we are considering his character, who he is, his words, his work on our behalf, that we actually enjoy him for him. There's a Puritan writer named John Owen. He says, if we don't behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, then something else will rule our lives. We will be slaves. If, if my kids come to me and they want to get in my face and they want to look at me and I've got my phone, right? I am missing the glory of my kids. And I'm a slave to the screen. It, Jesus says, seek me, seek my face. Just be enraptured with who I am. Be captivated with who I am. Because if you don't, something else is going to come along and creep in and steal your joy. It's going to steal your joy. Do, do you think, that maybe I'm like really taking this far too long, especially since you guys don't even know my kids. But like, do you think I get more joy out of like checking Twitter than I do like being in the face of my kids? No way. No way. It's a small thing that has huge distraction. And in your life, in your prayer life, you have small things that create huge distraction and you miss the glory of God in the face of Christ and you miss the joy of, of Jesus. John Owen, he goes on to teach that, that the regular delight in God and experience of the sweetness and love are the only ways to avoid being dominated at a practical level by false gods and enslaving passions. The process of encountering God in prayer comes through radical, biblical meditation, meaning I have something about God that I just cannot get out of my mind. I'm rolling it over and over and over again and seeking to see Jesus who he is, for who he is. In the Garden of Eden, we sinned and we lost the face of God. And this is the greatest disaster that has ever happened to humanity because we were designed, we were designed to live forever in the light of the face of God. Moses, in the scripture, if you look at him, he, he, he realized this. He got this. Moses got this. In fact, he was so brazen, so bold, and so confident. He said, he said Show, I want to see your face. God says, you can't. There's a barrier. And the barrier is your sin. In Jesus, that barrier is taken away. And we can begin to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And, and even though right now we only see it partially, we see it by faith, by faith one day we'll see it fully. And when we meditate and when we pray the gospel and we pray truth about Jesus with the power of the Spirit, we encounter God through prayer in a way that transforms us because we have the right posture and we engage in this process.